Now, when you do come in, you're going to have to uh, show your camera so I can see who you are, unless I, I, I know who you are. And uh, you don't have to have your camera on afterwards, just so I can make sure you're not trying to show anybody any Vienna sausages or anything like that. Oh, we already got somebody in trying to trying to join. No sausage here. It's Jaime. How's it going, my man? I got that taken care of. We're good. Oh, hey, by the way, guys, in the near future, it appears that, you know, I'm still waiting on confirmation, but I've been talking with Christy Gonsalves, and it looks like we're going to have Christy and Steve Gonsalves possibly on the show here in the near future uh, to do a uh, an interview, actual interview with them. So it's going to be different than last. And if you guys have any questions, email them to us. And, you know, if they're um, appropriate. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah we gotta. Yeah, we gotta go through all of those. Make sure that. Yeah, that and also not offensive to you know to the victims, the victims' family, or anybody else. But yeah, that that's gonna be happening here pretty soon. Uh, I spoke with her today about it. And I'm just waiting confirmation on things, and we'll be able to put that up on Wednesday. We're gonna have a sleuth from Sleuth Intuition on. He, uh, as I was mentioned before, he's the uh, guy that the, the creator that was that interviewed Patrick Westfall from Delphi. Huh. So let's go and go through this. And nobody, if you have a question, put a couple of stars next to it. That way we can see it and or hit us with a super chat. That definitely catches our eye. Uh, I noticed that a few content creators are leaning towards the frat brothers of Ethan and the fight at a frat party of suspects. Why do you think that is? That's a great question, Laura. So apparently there was a, um, I guess, some rumors that had gone through. And apparently I think that even Zana's mom may have even confirmed them that there was some sort of altercation between Ethan and so, and one of the other fraternity brothers while he was at that party that night. And I don't know how true it is or what extent it was or, or any of those things, but they're thinking just because of that and maybe perhaps the context of that argument. I think the rumor was what that one of them was on steroids is what the rumor is. And that they got into a fight over that. I mean, let's think about that. They were at a party, right? Jaime? What do you think? What do you think is being done at a party on Saturday night? A Friday night party? Uh, what isn't going on? Right, right. Do you, I, mean, I, I remember um, back in the day, we were burning couches just to keep warm. Outside dang, of the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you make yeah, alcohol, no. and maybe you know some drugs, uh, you're asking for some some trouble. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if, if there's alcohol there, right? At the very least, right? That's mm -hmm. that's what we can probably assume is is going on. Anything else would be well. Even even the alcohol could be pure speculation. You know, I mean, it's pure pure, pure speculation. In the likelihood that they were drinking alcohol there, more than likely, you know. But is it possible that they weren't? Yeah, I wasn't there. You weren't there. Yeah. You know, unless somebody comes forward talking about it, you know, I'm sure that's going to be on the on the toxicology report for Ethan and Xana that they if they had you know alcohol in their system. The problem with the frat boy um, like theory for me is it only answers one question, right? The the possible why it, and. I think some folks are getting a little bit too narrow focused on this question. So because it's a frat boy, because there was supposedly some sort of altercation there that says, all right, that's why this occurred. But it doesn't really fit the rest of the bill. I mean, maybe opportunity. It happened late at night. They're close by. So, yeah, that, those two kind of check off. But what about the means? And, and what the means is, is are they capable of committing this crime? And it's more than just the physical ability of how you this person can commit a crime. It is, you know, the having information, the education, the smarts, the know-how, the experience and the sobriety in this situation. What do we know about this case? We know that they Law enforcement used DNA from a knife sheath. They didn't use DNA underneath the fingernails or DNA found 
on the bodies or any of those things. I mean, why do you suppose that they didn't use DNA under the fingernails or, or blood uh, that may have been cut off, cut on somebody and, you know, the, the, the assailant and it dripped on the victim? Why, why didn't they use that DNA? So I don't think they found any. I know they they bagged their, their, you know, whenever a crime like this happens, they usually bag their, their hands to make sure that they can contain that DNA if they have any under the fingernails. But if they, they didn't find anything on there, then what can they compare it to, right? Exactly. They didn't find anything. You know, had they found it, then there would have they would uh, law enforcement would have used that dna because that's that's more of an indication of the perpetrator because it's from a defensive wounds uh, on a victim from a defensive wound on a wicked a victim by having those skin cells in said fingernails or whatnot so the mere fact that they're comparing it to the the, the dna on the knife sheath alone tells us that whoever committed this crime if we were to take the sheath out didn't leave any DNA behind, didn't leave any evidence behind. Now, does that seem like a plausible answer to an equation where you have alcohol, rage, you know, a rage-filled murder? I don't think so. Th those things aren't well planned out or any of those things. What are, what are your thoughts, Jaime? No, yeah, man. If you have alcohol in your system, depending how much, right? Um, mm -hmm. But if you if you commit a crime like this on alcohol and, you know, with you know, you're just with anger. I don't think you'll be thinking about not leaving DNA behind, especially mm -hmm. like maybe with one person, one victim, maybe it could happen, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, four victims on different on different um stories in the second story and the third story. Nah, I don't think that would be the case if it was just another frat frat person. No. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's no planning involved in that. That's out of rage, out of anger, the whole nine yards. So you know, you're when those things happen. You're usually finding forced entry. You're finding a door kicked in. You're finding glass broken. Um, you're, you know, somebody's angry. They're not typically tiptoeing in the dark trying to get to a place. They're like, you mother effer, come over here. And, you know, it, it's on. You get what I'm saying? That theory there, it just doesn't make sense unless you're narrowly focusing on that as being, you know, that, that, that answers that one question. It unfortunately doesn't answer all the questions. And when you look at these different types of theories, it's always good to kind of take a step back and look at it from a distance and look at the big picture instead of narrowly focusing on a, on like on a window where it answers one of your questions, but it doesn't fit the totality of the problem. If that makes sense. Let's no, see. Yeah, for sure. Well, the looks of it, you know, it seems like there was a lot of planning done to commit this, this crime. This mm -hmm. I don't think like a frat, like even if he got in a fight with a frat guy, I think it would have been either settled, settled there or a little bit right after, right? It wouldn't, I don't think he will take the time to go home, get tools or, you know, pretty much make his own little kill kit, I guess you could say. And it will Yeah, be exactly. I, I feel like it will be just towards that person he has the, the problem with. Not just the other victims, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Uh, Gina asked, did, you, did, did we ask Ms. Gonzalez about the jacket? That's one of the questions that I have listed down. Like I said, we're going to have, and if, you, if you're just tuning in, um, we've been in conversation with Ms. Gonzalez. Uh, we're, we're planning on having her and Steve on the show. We're just confirming a couple of things right now. Once we get everything confirmed, we'll probably set it up for a couple of days after that just to kind of promote the uh, the interview and then we'll we'll put it out out there uh, but yeah we have a list of questions that we're going to be going through to just kind of clear up some of the confusion some of the uh, misunderstandings like one of the questions which i've already asked her but um we're going to ask her again just so that it's coming from her and not just from me you know what i'm saying and that is there was rumors that olivia had seen i guess some sort of camera footage 
of Kaylee and Maddie walking the dog after they came back from the corner club. And she confirmed that those are 100% false. That did not happen. There is no camera footage that shows that. What people misheard was what she actually said, Olivia, is, is that she would have thought that Kaylee and Maddie would have taken Murphy out when they got home. Not that she saw Kaylee and Maddie uh, take home uh, or when they got home, take out Murphy. But yeah, the jacket is one. We're going to ask about that. Myron asked, my only question is, do you think the investigation was rushed? And I'm, I'm assuming this is back to Koberger. What do you think, Jaime? Do you think they rushed the investigation? Well, there has to be Koberger because the other one took five years, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yes and no. Uh, it took him five years to arrest him, but it only took him, what, maybe six weeks after they got his name to put him in cuffs or after they realized his name. Maybe not even that. I think maybe just a month. But let's just say it's Koberger. I mean, I don't think I think the fact that it was uh, four victims. Right. Uh, uh -huh. I think the fact that that was the case of there's a lot of other um, college students around and that they had someone that's out there you know, murdering people. I think that was going to be the. The point of catching them as fast as you can but at the same time it kind of it kind of like seems like sometimes they do no not just in this case but any other case if you go try to push it too fast and so you miss things right and that's you have to go back and then check out different evidence that they're, they left behind or they didn't even notice in the first place so it, it, i guess it got it has pros and cons you know i mean obviously the pros is like they, they have someone in custody but the cons yeah. it can be they rush it too too fast and they can miss some evidence in the beginning of the the case you know for me as far as did they rush it, it it's not so much about you know whether or not they did it too fast it's about you know do you have enough evidence to arrest you know there's no time limit or time frame in which an investigation has to be completed some take longer than others because you know some take more evidence than others right so like if you're trying to do some sort of like drug bust on somebody and you're trying to get like a huge dis uh, distribution case going well, that takes more than just one arrest and, you know, you flying into a, you know, a warehouse somewhere and finding a bunch of drugs. You know, that just tells you that with that drugs or those drugs right there, that there was a possible intent to distribute. And, you know, honestly, you know, trying to prove intent is difficult. I mean, you're going to have the evidence there. But when it gets down to going to a jury, it can get kind of iffy. That's why a lot of times those type of cases get charged real high in hopes that people plead down. So that way they don't have to go to court and risk anything. So anyways, what you end up doing and try to get something bigger than that is you you build a case. You you, you watch, you know, this place, you, um, you see shipments coming in and out. You try to get somebody maybe even potentially undercover. And, and the goal is to get a history of long term, you know, uh, distribution. So that way, when you do make your arrest, it's with a huge case and it's loaded and, you know, solid. You won't you won't have to worry about anything but when it comes to a, a crime where like for instance somebody having their life taken away uh, the evidence is all there you know it's not something like all right you know let's wait till this guy hits again so we can charge him for being a serial killer N no they, they they actually want to kind of put that to a stop as soon as possible did they rush it per se could they have gotten more evidence i mean the only more evidence that they could have gotten you know the weapon and the tools of the crime the you know, planning tools. And those couldn't have been gotten unless they checked his apartment, his car and his house at his parents' house. You know, those places had to be checked. You know, you had to arrest them, you know, in that situation, putting that all together. No, I don't think they did rush it. I think that they were anticipating on finding more, more evidence, maybe perhaps, and maybe they have, we don't know, but from the sounds of it, it sounds like this guy pretty intelligent. And maybe this is going to be a really, this is going to be a difficult case. You know, it's, yeah. 
I think there's enough evidence there. I think they got a strong case, but I mean, who knows at this point? We don't we don't know all of it. You know what I mean? What What are your thoughts on on that on that last part? Yeah, I I, I think the fact that it looked rushed kind of for me, it feels like like you said that they had enough to hold him, and then they were gonna you know get more on him, more evidence yeah. on him. Make it more solid, and that's why sometimes, like when these cases, like you know, get not solved, but like they have a suspect in custody so fast, a lot of people rush to think that oh, they're just the first suspect that they come out, they're gonna grab them and they're gonna just try to like force the story around the narrative around him, and that's probably not the case on this one. I think they have enough enough evidence on him. I mean, let's let's be honest here. What is the defense? You know, what's his defense so far? You know, some rule from 1880, and and they want to include evidence that's not usable against him that points like and i've said this a couple of times that's like as if i commit a crime i say i'm 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 innocent and you find my dna there and then i say i'll take a lie detector test scratch the dna part but i go i'll I'll take a lie detector test and then i fail it and for whatever reason you, you know they find more evidence they end up charging me and my only defense is well let's go get that failed lie detector test that I had and try to somehow use that as evidence of corruption. It doesn't make any sense to me. Angel D asks, <clears throat> people are still on, what did Ad- what did you say to Adam when Steve said way at the start, it was about getting back with Jack D allegedly? I think that's true. You know, from everything that I've heard, that sounds accurate. Um, what, what do you think it, it could be or what it is, Jaime? I think it's going to be probably, probably that since it was, um, the, the breakup was pretty, pretty fresh at that time. I think that's going to be it. I mean, I think I don't, I don't know. I know there's, there's a lot of um, rumors about drugs and stuff like that, but I think that's just going to be it, man, that they're just trying to, you know, maybe get back together at that time, especially because it was so fresh. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, Jack and, and, and Adam were good friends, right? If one of them was having relationship problems, don't you think that they would tell the other one? You know what I mean? And if, if like, for instance, if Blue came up to us, right, right. If Blue came up to, to you or I and was like, I don't know, he was like, hey, man, you know, um, him and his girlfriend. No, no, him and his girlfriend don't work out, right? Mm-hmm. And and Blue's heartbroken about it, right? He's all he's all heartbroken because Blue has a big heart. You know, he comes up to us, at, at you know, at the bar one night. And he's like, hey, you know, you know, things are going well. You know, he wants to get back with her. He wants to work it out where, you know, we're bros of his. So we're encouraging that, you know, that, that could work out. And let's just say Blue leaves and, you know, we're at the bar. Blue's there. His ex-girlfriend shows up. They're hanging out. Blue leaves because he's tired. And she tells us something like, yeah, you know, I, I want to get back with him. Would you or I tell Blue that or would we keep, would we keep that a secret? I snitch a lot. <laughs> I snitch a lot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I think I think we would tell him, like, hey, man, you yeah. know, it's looking good for you. Keep doing yeah. what you're doing. Especially, like, you know, they all know each other, you know. I mean, they're going to talk. And if you hear something from her, you're obviously going to go tell your buddy, you know. Maybe not the bad. Buddy. Maybe <laughs> not so much the bad things, but maybe the good things. one or two, one or the other, maybe even both. I'm just thinking that maybe we're look. you know, I understand why it was suspicious. I mean, anything that those girls did that night, knowing what happened the next day was going to be suspicious. And there's no, no fault in looking into those things. You know what I'm saying? I mean, us ourselves did, you know, once time started to continually go, Right. Where there wasn't an arrest in this case. And the longer it got away from that situation, the less likely 
it was that. And the reason I'm saying that is because like Adam, Jack, they all were very cooperative. Now, it'd be a different thing if they came out, they were uncooperative, right? but they were cooperative. They handed their phone over. Uh, both of them handed their phones over the entire the whole nine yards. If there was something to be found because of their cooperation, it would have been found. Um, Angel Digo comes in saying, but why are some people really, really not wanting it to be Koberger? I don't understand why the way they caught him is so unbelievable that they want it to be the frat boys. Well, let's take this one part at a time. Well, let's take the frat boys out of it because we already spoke about them. What it does really come down to is, are there some people who just want it not to be Koberger or no matter what, it could be anybody else but Koberger. Do you think that that's something that's going on right now, Jaime? Well, I mean, if you're, I mean, take a look at us, even from the beginning, we always had that open mindset on, on who could who could have been right we, we went through a couple of avenues and then the the some of the evidence and some of the information started coming out that finally started making sense and pointing to the right direction at least for for me you know yeah um i mean this evidence information kind of just points towards brian's way so like for me it's just hard i was up in in different um percentages through a whole like since, since the last year you know i was like 50 50 could it could have not been and a little bit more information will come out. Okay, it's now 60, 40, it is him, and then 70. Now I'm up to like 90s that, you know, more likely it is they got the right guy. Right. So now I, I hear you with that. But what, what I'm saying is there are some people that no matter what evidence comes comes to you, mm-hmm. there's oh, yeah. some sort of excuse behind it. And, you know, some of it is bizarre up to the point where I've heard, you know, some folks accuse the chief of police of being involved in this, in this crime. Mm-hmm. I've heard... You know, there was there was a lot of people that have supposedly had inside information about this crime. And the majority of it has been probably, uh, I'd say like 80 percent of it's probably been false. It's been about 20 percent that came out to be true. You know what I'm saying? Like Reddit. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, but like the part that came out to be true was that somebody saw, you know, somebody in the house. You know, you and I couldn't believe that that was true because of the, the, you know, how long it took for somebody to pick up the phone and call 911. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a huge hurdle for the prosecution. You know, when it comes down to this case, you know, just because I think he did it, you know, doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy open shut case. There's no such thing. You know, you, you never know how one person might perceive the evidence. You know, we, we go through the evidence, we perceive it one way, and there's a few people, if not a, few, a lot of people that perceive it differently. I think it's pretty clear it's him, but you know, it's not clear to everybody. Yeah, a, a guilty person who committed a crime can't get off on a technicality, right? A guilty person ha- can get off on a technicality. Yeah, I mean, even if one, well, yeah, well, even if one, not a technicality, but like even the one juror, so it takes pretty much. Yeah, it, it well, O.J. Simpson, Casey Anthony. Well, O.J. that was a different story, man. I think, oh, you think he was innocent too? No, I think I think he was guilty as it comes, man. But <laughs> okay. I think the whole Ronnie King thing was. Um, was a whole full display too, so I don't think they true. wanted. I think that was a big, a big reason too as why not why he wasn't convicted. That's true at too. My, that, that, at least in my opinion. Right, right, and and I and I I can say that that's I can agree with you. Me personally, say that that's possibly had something to do with it. You know, there was a lot of rioting that was going on um, back in that time frame. You know, in the mid nineties, and you know, yeah, I'm sure that possibly you know played a a role in it. But Casey Anthony, that was a person that a lot of folks thought she was, you know, pretty much Dude, the person. Even the the special or the documentary that came out, it was yeah, like, whoa, wow, but yeah, she was um like at some point she was just like debunking herself. <laughs> yeah. like, what? What's going on? I think 
I think she was even saying, I'm pretty sure she did it. <laughs> You're talking about yourself. Yeah, dude. When we watched that that documentary, it was like, Are you serious? This this person is lying through her teeth. And she's even telling you she's lying. She said it I don't know how many times. Like, you know, I'm I'm a pathological liar. You know, I've lied about everything. But I want you to believe me now. All right, Doors of Perception says, Why doesn't anyone think that Brian did a killing before? And that's why he they had him so fast. Um, they didn't have him that fast. It took them what? About a month and about five days or so. Let's give it like a month and two weeks. Just yeah, from November 13th to December 19th is when they got him. And the way they got him was through the IgG family tree thing. What they were able to do is they got the DNA on the sheet. They created that STR profile, and there they created an SNP profile. Sent that out, you know, or a lab created the SNP profile. And what their goal was was try to do a family tree or build a family tree based off of uh, the DNA that they had. So what they would do is they would take that DNA and enter it into like 23andMe or whatever under a pseudo name like John Doe or whatever. And that name would then, they would get some relatives. And then depending on how far the relative is back, like whoever did it, will determine probably the level of difficulty that that tree is going to be or how long it's going to take. So for instance, if like one of Brian Coburger's sisters, if she had done one of these you know, ancestry type, a G, G, Jed match or whatever it's called. If she had done one of those, then it'd be fairly easy to trace back to, to Koberger fairly quickly. Now, if it was like a, uh, you know, fifth cousin three times removed or something like that, well, that's going to be a little bit harder, take a little bit longer. We don't know who it matched to. I'm assuming maybe that's why Koberger's defense wants it because they want to know how close it was. But I don't, I don't think it matters because, well, Jaime, do you know how they check the uh, accuracy of the uh, genealogy tree or the genetic tree makeup thing that they did? You know how they make sure, you know what tells them whether or not they did it right or wrong? You asked the wrong person, I'll tell you that. If Blue was here, that would have been a different story. If you go and take your suspect's DNA and it matches to the DNA that you were testing to, then that means you did the IgG correct. If you go and test it and it doesn't match or it's an incomplete match, like for instance, it says, oh, hey, you know, you're, this person has like 8% uh, of, of the same DNA or whatever. So that's like some kind of very close cousin, like first cousin or whatever. Well, that means you did it wrong. You're probably on the right path, but you did it wrong. It's another reason why it just doesn't make any sense to me why the defense is fighting for this so hard unless they really have nothing else to argue. Sadie asks, I think Beth Bethany seeing a naked man confirms BK stripped down and that's why BK didn't transfer any blood. You know, that story came from somewhere. Yeah. Do, do you think that's what it is? I don't I don't think so. Um, I think he probably wore clothes underneath um, whatever getup he had to not get any sort of blood. I believe that all that stuff that he used is no longer anywhere remotely close to that to that house i'll tell you that I'm, I'm sure it's buried or thrown in some body of water but from the looks of it, it looks like he i think he buried it thinking that he might no, get I, away and come back for it later oh i, I think it's buried burnt ash those things are buried um as far as bethany seeing a naked man i don't think she saw a naked man and the reason being is bethany's room faces queen street i, I know they they live on king but the road that it's actually facing is queen that's why it's a little confusing there but it faces that street it doesn't face behind the house dylan's bedroom however would have a pretty good view of the back of the house right so maybe perhaps it was dylan who saw that somebody outside without clothes where do you think that it would have been logical for him to have stripped down Jaime. do you think it's right after he walks out of the house while before he walks out of the house or when he gets to his car a couple of feet away from his trunk where do you think he's taking off his clothes at so that he doesn't get caught 
I mean, the the best place will be right outside the house. That way, you don't track any DNA of the direction you're going, right? But I mean, the thing is, like, the neighbor's pretty close too, and I'm I'm sure the lights were on from the back where the the sliding door was at, where the kitchen. Maybe maybe behind that, around the corner, towards the you know how that slope where that slope mm-hmm. was at. Maybe maybe that would have been the, a good place. You know where I think it was. In that I think corner. Was, no, I think it was actually in the kitchen, right Inside. before he walked out. Yeah, right before he walked out. Reason being is, what do we know? We know that Kaylee and and Mandy were in the same bed in the third floor. We know that Ethan and Zana were in the same room, and yet there's blood, supposedly, allegedly. I mean, there's something red on some of the cabinets inside of the kitchen. Not a lot of blood. And it, it, it's so small. Like it's just a couple of drops here and there that I would think that perhaps somebody went in there. I, I don't think that Dylan or Bethany ever really left their bedrooms. You know, I think if, if maybe perhaps if if one of them did, they went to the other bedroom. I don't think that they went around the house and searched it. Reason being was because the rear sliding glass door was still open when um, the person that called 911 arrived. It's been theorized also by myself, that the uh, assailant went in through the back sliding glass door, opened that glass door once, and that was the last time that that person touched it. They didn't close it behind them. They didn't open it and then, re, you know, close it or any of those things. I'm thinking that if he's covered in, you know, if he has, if this person has blood on their arms, which I would assume that they would based on where they were attacking the victims, and they were to take these items off and swing, you know, the arm, then that would throw off any blood and cascaded onto the uh, onto the shelves there. I think that's how that got there. I think I figured it out. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> well, it could be, man. At this point, with this case, it's, it's anybody's guess. You know, I was watching the um, the interview between Brian Enton and and the Gonzalez family, and in that interview, Brian uh, they asked Steve about knocking down the house, and he was talking about the perspective of being outside of the house. Like if you were stalking the house and you were watching. And you can pinpoint where he was at by his phone. Like, let's just say it was back there, you know, behind the house. Like, what could you see from there? You know, if the windows were open, how how much into the house could you see? You know, if you knock down the house, you lose that perspective. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. Do you think that knowing that perspective is important to the jury? Everything should be taken serious when it comes down to showing the, the jury exactly where everything's supposed to be you know it's one thing seeing showing them pictures or even the model but physically seeing it it's a whole different story sissy asks do you think he first saw the girls at the restaurant maddie and zana worked at and then just couldn't control himself and started stalking what do you think i i think if any person who would do kill four people obviously they had these intentions a long time ago they don't just wake up one morning and be like oh you know what i feel like doing this i think he saw he might have seen them I'm not saying there, but, you know, maybe from a dating app, maybe chose those that person and then stalked. I'm sure he had stalked before and mm-hmm. he had thoughts about doing something, something similar to it. Maybe not, not as much as like four people, but at least one. And I'm sure he had thoughts about that way before this crime was committed. I don't think it was the restaurant. I think it was at their house. And the reason being is, and it just kind of goes back to the, if, if this was Brian Koberger, you know, who he is as far as his education, his knowledge, his, his intelligence, why would he target this area or one of these persons? What was going on in his life during that time? Who was affecting him during that time? And, you know, what we know is, you know, he was struggling at the school, at the university. He was supposedly 
being accused of having some disturbing behavior with another PhD student, constantly asking them out. And to the point where other PhD students just didn't want to leave him alone. And you had the Pullman Police Department basically uh, turn him down as an intern. Now, he's smart. He's educated. He understands that, you know, even though all his anger and frustrations may be towards WSU, Pullman Police Department, and females that attend WSU, that if he attacks or commits a crime like this towards somebody that he's connected to, that it could come back to him. I think that he had the urge and the desire to uh, commit something like this. I think that's why he was you know, conducting that Reddit survey in the manner that he was conducting it. You know, some of the questions that he was asking weren't really normal to um, something out of a thesis that you're expecting when it comes to the criminology and PhD classes. The reason why is because uh, I can't remember who it was, but there was an interview with another PhD student, not part of this, but another criminology PhD student who was talking about those specific things that, that were in Koberger's Reddit survey that even they said that was a little bit odd. I, I took criminology, but not at the PhD level. So I couldn't tell you. Um, plus I didn't even finish the associate level. So uh, I'm way below <laughs> where Koberger was at, but you know, you'll get all those things. Plus he had the, uh, there was those text messages from his friend saying that, you know, he wanted to be associated with a high profile crime. He wanted to be the detective. He wanted to solve a high profile crime. And then there's a high profile crime that gets committed. I think that that was an aspect of what he wanted to accomplish, not the entire thing, but an, a part of it, it being a high profile crime, it going unsolved and it targeting local rural law enforcement, local, you know, the, the local universities, although it wasn't the one that he attended and, you know, um, sorority girls. So what I think he did was he went out and looked for a house with a lot of females in it because the goal was to have more than one victim, to create a higher profile crime. So that way there's more, um, well, obviously more attention to it. And given the fact that there needed to be more people, you know, having a new Range Rover parked up front or a boyfriend's car out there maybe wouldn't bother him as much as we would think, because that's part of the plan, more people. So I think the house was targeted. And I think that's what they meant by the house being the target. Do you know if he had a polygraph? Uh, if you're talking about Brian Koberger, I do not think so. And if, why would the killer start upstairs knowing there are others in the house that could hear him? You would not know heading downstairs what he could face. I mean, when you walk into a house that you're not supposed to be in, you can walk into something as soon as you walk in. The reason why he probably went upstairs first, in my opinion, is probably because there was a light on in the second floor at one point, probably to alert the, uh, the, the, the DoorDash driver of where the residence was. And I'm assuming that if he saw that light on at 351 when he passed by and off at 405 when he passed by again, you know, in that like 15 minute, 10 minute area, he's probably assuming that maybe they just fell asleep and they're not in that deep REM aspect of being asleep. Unlike the folks that are upstairs in the fourth or in the third bedroom, you could probably be able to get into their bedroom a little bit quieter versus the second floor. You know, just an opening, a difference in pressure if they're not completely asleep could wake them up. So, I mean, that's just my opinion. What do you think, Ina? Yeah, seeing the the light uh, off in the third floor would have been the first target, right? The first place to go. And then if he had seen that the second story light was so long, he would have it would have given enough time for them to at least the victims to fall asleep and then go down. Yeah, there. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Lucy asks Daniel, if you looked at this case from a different angle, play devil's advocate and talk about the rooms not being controlled with one person being the unaliver. I mean, 
All right, so let's play devil's advocate here. Well, maybe not so much devil's advocate, but let's let's look at it from a big picture. What would need to happen if there were multiple people involved in here? So it would be not just one person going in there and committing uh, the perfect crime while not leaving DNA, but now multiple people multiple people going in there committing the crime and not leaving DNA. As unlikely it is and as hard as it is to believe that one person can do it, I feel that when you add more people to it would further complicate that equation, which would make it thus more unlikely. So for for anybody to say that it couldn't have been, you know, Brian Koberger for whatever reason, I think you can't say that it, it you know, oh because of the DNA or there was only this DNA there. You really can't say that it was multiple people because then where's all their DNA too? Now, I know that, you know, some folks are going to point to the, oh, well, the defense said that there was two unidentified male source DNA, you know, in the area of where the bodies were found. Let's think about that too. There's another DNA source that was found as well. That was found in a glove outside of the house. Why was the defense team so precise about the location of the DNA outside of the house, indicating it was inside of a glove outside of the house and not so, you know, direct as to where the DNA in the area where the bodies were located. Is it possible because that area was just the room and maybe it's on the opposite side of the house, of the room, very far away and maybe not really have anything to do with the crime? It's possible. I think that's probably more likely because if it was on the bodies of one of the victims, just like you know, Ann Taylor put in about the uh, DNA in the glove, it, it would say that because, you know, if I was a defense attorney or like Richard Allen's defense attorneys, you know, when you see something that doesn't look right or that is like, hey, this is, you know, possibly exculpatory, then you can jump on the table and sing about it, right? Well, I think she'd be singing about this, like, hey, there's blood, there's such DNA on this part on that part, but to say that it's in the area tells me that's the closest description that they could come with that would still tell us that they're being truthful, right? Because if it was really close, they would say it. Haley's brother in an early interview said survivors were on the first floor in the morning, allegedly. I think when police arrived there, everybody was on the first floor out of the house. Um, from what I understand is when the when Ethan's best friend came over to the house because he was summoned by the by the roommates, he opened the door partially. It took him some time because the door was blocked. He was able to peer in, see what he saw, and then he said, get out. Who he was telling, I'm not sure. And I think everybody did get out and 911 was called. So I would assume that when police did arrive there, that there would have been her and or Dylan and Bethany outside in the front. Do you think they had rigor when they were found? Uh, maybe. If, if you're talking about Delphi, it was like the next day. You know, that, that's more of a blue question. He's the medical guy. I know that it comes and goes and it varies. Like some people end up going into rigor like super early, like the hour into it. And then they'll, you know, they'll have, they'll be in rigor status for like a couple of hours and then it'll, it'll go away and then it'll come back again. And yeah, some folks, it takes them a, a lot longer, like 18 hours before rigor starts the first time is how long or how late I've seen it go in or, or have heard of it taken. So it, that, that, that kind of depends. Then you don't have to explain, but is there any reason for Kaylee not, not been sleeping with Murphy that night? It's too weird for me. I'm curious if she was found under or over the blanket at, at the bed. And the reason why is probably because of the, Kaylee and Maddie got home super late. I'm assuming, and then this is some other questions that I'm going to, I'm going to ask the Gonzalez family. Uh, to get a better clarification. But from my understanding um, and my assumptions is the girls came back late, pretty close to 2 a.m. You know, they had left at about 1030. Right. So they didn't leave early, early. They, you know, they weren't out and about. They didn't go to the football game. They left about 1030 to to the corner club from their house. I'm assuming that given the fact that they left so late, uh, they probably took Murphy out before they left. 
he probably went to the bathroom and they brought him in and he went to sleep at 10 30 most dogs are asleep by then i've had a few in my life i have a few now and you know when it gets dark dogs dogs get tired and go to sleep so i'm assuming that if kaylee was gone that the dog would have slept in kaylee's room given the fact that they came home at two in the morning you know they probably went to maddie's room they were probably calling you know or they were calling jackie core doing girl things and you know, calling boyfriends or whatever. And she probably left her dog asleep in her room. And the intention probably wasn't to fall asleep or to probably go to sleep there. But, you know, they're, they've been friends since they were kids. So they feel like they're sisters. So they go to sleep in the same bed and she just leaves Mur Murphy asleep there. Now, I, I find it not odd, but I think it would be more odd for somebody to go into their house or apartment or, or, or wherever they're staying at two in the morning to wake up their dog just to have them go and sleep on the floor in another room. Well, from what I understand, Maddie's bed wasn't like wasn't a like a huge bed. So I don't I don't think I don't know if Murphy and uh, it would fit comfortably or, or whatnot. So I just think that there's a pretty good possibility that Murphy was just in his room uh, the entire time. And it was just a, a lot of unplanned, unforeseen, innocent things that happened that night uh, that ended up being him not being, you know, with Kaylee when the, when things went down. What is up, Jeff? Jeff comes in with a five dollar super. Says Daniel, do you do you hear a car trunk close at four twenty one a.m. and then a car taking off at four twenty at four twenty one at nineteen a.m. in the lane footage? I don't remember I, I'm, I can go back and listen to it i don't trust what's on the audio uh there's other audio that has been confirmed that's not out to the public this too you know from what i understand one of the victim's families has it and that there's a lot of the noises in the linda lane footage that are not absolutely not in that audio or that footage which was right next to the uh uh, the victim's house. I find it hard to trust any of it, but if there was, I find it difficult because I think that's out of the time frame. Wasn't the uh, the car scene at 4:20 on um, on what was it? It was on uh, on the street south or just just behind the victim's residence, I believe. But I'm gonna have to go back and look at. It. I know you did some work on that, Jeff. If you don't mind sending me the link with it time stamped, I'll go back and listen to it. To not look at JD at the time as a suspect, I think was puzzling. He should have been. He was a suspect. Kaylee and him were not. Were not the break. Parents were getting back together. It didn't make sense. Yeah, he was. He was questioned heavily. I mean, maybe not so much considered a suspect or anything like that, but he was treated as one, and so was a lot of a lot of people in in this case. That a lot of folks say that. Oh man, they shouldn't have cleared him so quickly. This, that, and a third. I get it, but. Early on, he was he was questioned very heavily. In fact, so he was at the uh, police department. I want to say almost what at least nine, ten hours somewhere around there. You know that first day, and then he was there over and over again. He was very cooperative. You know he showed no signs of injury or or any of those things. And whatever information they had on his phone uh, from that forensic download and and what they were able to corroborate. They were able to show that it wasn't him. Plus, he lived down the street. I understand why he would be driving around the house if he had some kind of involvement. Wait at his house down the street until all lights turned off and run out that direction. You know, and, and then where's where's the white Elantra if he had it and he was using it? Because at the end of the day, there was a white Elantra seen driving around several times, stop before the murders occurred, and then show back up, leaving that area at a high rate of speed after the murder. So, you know, those things don't connect, in my opinion. And that's probably had a lot of reason why uh, they didn't believe that it was him, plus a lot of other people that were in that area. Trace DNA in eight hours. Yeah, some things happen like that, you know? I don't think so. Daniel, we are trying to get our head around him. He killed four people 
and an eight hour delay on the map. Well, what are the what do those two have in common or have to do with each other? You know, the actions of the surviving roommates. I mean, if they would have called 911 sooner, does that change who the suspect is? Does that change the white car driving around between four and four twenty? Does that change the DNA on the knife sheath? Would that change, you know, his phone being off during that time? I don't think so. You know, is it suspicious? Is it is it questionable? You know, should there you know, be answers to it. Yeah. 100%, 100%, you know, but are we going to, are we ready to accept that answer? If that answer is there's fright, flight and freeze. And, you know, this person did the combination. She just froze and didn't do anything. Didn't know what to do. Panicked and, and, you know, being naive and young, just froze and was scared. So scared that common sense went out the window. Those things are possible. We don't know what we would think or do in those type of stress situations. Another channel has a theory that the perp ended am on the first pass of the car left realize that they now that doesn't make any sense at all like all right so and, and, I, and i understand that i mean one yeah that's another creator's theory but we this person would have to leave and go back not leaving any dna or or footprints or, or any of those things multiple times not just once no what somebody's trying to do in that is they're trying to make the Linda Lane audio make sense when there's audio that's closer that proves it doesn't make sense. I saw today a video about Alan Fushi or Fuki. Judge said it was a senseless crime with no motive other than he wanted it. Mm -hmm. It was something he wanted to do for the thrill of it. Made me think. Yeah, there are some people that that that's the case. That's what they that's what they want to do. That would give you, given you a frozen shock face, seeing the suspect naked. Uh, it might be. And as far as him, like, getting dressed somewhere else, I think that the only logical place would be right before he leaves the house or right as he leaves the house. Well, the reason why, you know, it makes sense for me as he's leaving the house is because it would answer to why those there was droplets or what appeared to be droplets of blood in the kitchen. He, had he, you know, obviously he committed this crime with a knife, so there would obviously be blood on his arm and chest. And if this was some sort of coveralls, you would unzip it, pull it over, off and over and take his arms out. That would fling, you know, the arm sleeves back and forth. And if they were obviously soaked in blood, that would splatter and splash and cascade onto the walls. They would have found blood where he parked if he had changed his clothes behind the house. I don't think he changed his clothes at the house too much time on on target I mean, it depends i mean what do we know he has those vans possibly those vans shoes you know and some coveralls those those aren't very hard to get out especially if he had some other van shoes next to him and some other very easily accessible pieces of clothing so if he's um walking out walks up unzips you know has his bag open puts the puts the knife in there i would assume at that point he probably realized that he lost the sheath but you know put his put his knife in it you know, take his clothes off, put his clothes in there and take off. He doesn't have time. He's the person saw him. He probably thinks that they're probably calling 911. You know what I mean? Like, I would assume if I was him that, you know, I saw somebody, they're probably calling 911, got to get out of here. He, go, he allegedly goes back at 930, knowing he can't search Idaho murders, quadruple homicide, Moscow, because if it hadn't been found yet and he searches that, he's gone. He's caught. I have a friend that believed that the kitchen drippings were amino black any possibility i honestly don't know i've never used it before i don't know what it looks like i think it's a powder but i don't know we don't have official confusion that the sliding door was left open the only official report was the front door no actually that wasn't an official report that the front door was left open that was a neighbor saying that the front door or somebody saying that the front door was left open it was brought to the attention of a news team the news team brought it to the attention of chief rye and he said that that was not something he had heard before and he had a press briefing 
not too long after the murders. I want to say maybe a day or two days afterwards, um, in which where he had stated the backsliding glass door was still open when officers arrived. Now, the term still open when they arrived tells me that they probably felt that it was open the entire time. What time did BK leave his place? I think it was sometime like around 2.42, 2.45 in the morning, somewhere around there. And he turned off his phone like at 2.47. He's seen on camera uh, for nine minutes over there by uh, WCU campus. And then he's uh, not seen any again until there's a, um, according to the PCA. Now the PCA says that there's multiple footage of the car, right? It doesn't say that the multiple footage was before, after, during, uh, during the time that specified that they're showing that vehicle on uh, in the PCA, but they're talking about it, right? So they talk about it at 126 or at, I'm sorry, 326 AM that it's behind the police department. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the first time that it's on camera. It's just the first time that they speak about it in this essence. Like it could have been seen on camera in multiple different places and multiple different times, trying to elude the investigation by driving weird patterns or something, you know, when it goes to the house, when it starts to head that direction where they can see it the first time on camera, it's coming from the police department or from behind it. And then it's going straight there. And that's at, at 328, 329 when it passed around the first time. And then it passed by one, two, three, four times, I want to say. And then again at three, at 407, you can see it come back around and park. And so let's just say they parked at 407 and a half. It's not that far. It's like literally from a lot of folks, I don't know why they think that it takes like 10 minutes to drive around in a single apartment complex. It literally only takes 30 seconds to get around. So when it passes by right at 407, it's parking it before 408. So he, the guy's probably in the house by 409 and out of there at 419. So that's 10 minutes. That's a long time. You know, if anybody's been in a fight, 10 minutes is a long time. I mean, let's think about it as far as distance. If somebody's walking, you know, at three miles an hour for 10 minutes, what's that like half a mile or so? maybe a little bit more. If somebody's jogging or, or sprinting, they can probably get to almost two miles, mile and a half in that time pretty easily. Well, the house ain't that big. It's not a mile and a half long. <laughs> Did we find out who answered his Reddit post? No, I don't I don't think so. I don't think we know. I'm sure law enforcement probably knows. He has more connections to Ellie than the four victims. That's true. I, I think Golden State Killer probably also had more connections to law enforcement than his victims. BTK is another one too. I mean, I know it's, it's shocking and it's surprising, you know, I think at a certain point, or at least for me, I don't look at this guy as a guy that committed this crime because there was a specific motive outside of his own curiosity, fantasy, things like that. I don't think that this was a crime where of the traditional, I want to say traditional sense, but it wasn't a crime of passion or anger. There'd be a lot more evidence if it was. If there was no DNA on the button snap. Do you think we'd uh, never have heard of BK? Um, so my thing is, I think that because of his behavior at Washington State University and, you know, he was losing his job. He had just gotten fired. I think that at a certain point, information would have gotten to the police department and it would have at Moscow and said, hey, there's this guy been acting up. He got fired. He's got some you know, disturbing behaviors. You might want to look into him. Now, can you use that at court against him? No. You know, you can't just say, you know, it's just some student saying, hey, this guy was grading hard or this guy did that or whatever. It's not enough to go get a warrant. That's not enough to do anything. But you can investigate him. Kind of like the IgG, right? That's not enough to go get a warrant for Koberger just because you have it. That's not enough to go arrest him. That's not enough to go get a search warrant for his house. You got to build a case just like that. If somebody from WSU called and said, hey, you know, I was uh, I want to re remain anonymous. And just want to tell you that this guy, he's a bit of a 
bit of a douche and he drives a white Elantra and he grades people hard, just look into him. And if the police department just solely decided to look into him because of that, they would find out that he drives a white car very similar to the one that's um, being operated during the time of the commission of the crime. They would have found out that his phone wasn't connected to any tower during the commission of the crime. And they would have found his Reddit posts because those were all already on, you know, those were public for anybody to find. And so was his education. They would have also have located his his essay that he wrote to the Pullman Police Department, where he indicated that he wanted to help rural officers better analyze and collect technical data. Those things would have still been there. Right? They would have then used all those things to get a warrant, uh, look at his actual phone locations and his actual phone history for the night of the murders and would have found out that his phone was off during the commission of the crime. They would have also found out that his front license plate, uh, his car didn't have one during the crime, which is also consistent with the vehicle that was seen on camera. And I think they would have tried their best to build a case against him uh, without the DNA or a murder weapon. In that situation, it's going to be a little bit harder you know, without those two type of things. In that situation, we're probably not seeing an arrest as fast as we're seeing it now. Or as fast as we saw it, but you know, you're eventually going to pull his warrants and find out that he purchased a K-bar knife in April of 2022 prior to moving down to to the Pullman, Washington area. These victims were stabbed by knives. You know, at this point, if you don't have like key evidence, what you're probably doing is taking out the metal fragments out of the bodies of the victims and determining where those, you know, depending on the the material and how it was forged, you can determine where it was manufactured. So then you can tie it back to K-Bar. You have the K-Bar knife there. You know, I think that's how you can probably tie it in, put it all together and put a bow on it. It's not as solid as this case without the DNA and the sheet there. But it, it would still be very solid and very circumstantial. But uh, I think it'd be enough to probably convict him as well. It, it would have definitely taken a little bit longer, but it, it wouldn't have been as long as a lot of people think it would have been. I think it would have it would have happened a lot sooner than what most people think, especially once he comes back from from uh, the Poconos. He's no longer a teacher's assistant. He's all mad and angry and his intelligence is offended by these rule officers and, and university out in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, I think it would have been a little bit longer, but I'm pretty sure they would have got him. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why people think that it's dumb to drive your own car and think it's so smart to drive somebody else's. I've never seen that ever work. I have never seen it work. I've never seen where somebody stole another car to commit a crime. Now they got to get away with two crimes or if they use a rental vehicle or a vehicle they borrowed from a car dealership. Well, there's pay patrol when it comes to those type of things or like a buddy. I mean, who's Koberger going to go to? He's not from the area. You know, the only people that he probably associates or is around are the PhD students and the professors and, and those that he works with because he's only been there for a couple of months. Is he going to ask another criminology student or, or professor to borrow their car and, and they're just not going to realize that their vehicle was lent out during you know, the night that a murder happened and, you know, given their education and their future goals, as far as career fields go, that they're not going to report that. I don't know. Can somebody tell me what the benefit is of using somebody else's car? I mean, just the fact that what, you know, I mean, this is, and again, this is another example of narrowing in and focusing in and being secretly focused on one part of a problem and saying, Hey, they can't trace the car back to you if it doesn't belong to you. Right. But not counting or thinking about the other problems that using somebody else's vehicle creates doesn't make sense why did steve say he didn't have to go upstairs well at the time steve was um steve and the family were indicating that there was one victim or that the wounds didn't match right that it was it was speculated that the uh, one person had more severe wounds than another and that that occurred up in the third floor you know a, a lot of people thought and assumed that the target was on the third floor you know if 
if the killer enters in the second floor and the target's on the second floor, doesn't have to go up to the third floor. The fact that he went up to the third floor at that time, from what I understood from what Steve was saying, and and I, I was understanding what he was saying, and, and I was kind of thinking maybe the same thing as well. You know, the only reason you go up there is if you're if your if your target is up there and coming down on the second floor. Well, that's your exit point. Maybe somebody woke up, somebody heard something, somebody saw something, you know, something like that. And like I said, this is early on in the investigation, but I, I still think that that's probably the case. Yeah, a killer is thinking all that. A very educated, well thought out, planned out one is thinking a lot of things. I mean, let's look at what Brian Koberger thought of. You know, why didn't he go directly back to Pullman? Even the police department indicated in the probable cause affidavit that they would have suspected that he was going to go back to Pullman immediately after. I mean, most people would. You know, there's the, uh, you know, adrenaline kicking in, just committed a crime, you're trying to get away with it. You know, you take off, you go fast to your home. But he didn't. He took this long ass route, took over an hour and some odd minutes to get there. Maybe because he understood and knew that that investigators were going to uh, be looking at the Pullman police. I mean, the Pullman cameras entering Pullman during a specific time, the time that they thought that would have been a time frame in which if a person committed this crime would have been entering that city there. And because of the sheer amount of tips and information and the evidence that they had to go through, they were only going to look at the specific time. So Koberger drew, drove an extra hour and a half out of his way so that he would elude that specific portion of the investigation. I'm pretty sure he would have thought about a lot of things. While he was driving around by UI, he could have heard music from the house and started checking it out. That's what I think happened initially. You know, I can't remember who it was, but I was watching an interview here recently. I think it was Jeremy, the neighbor guy who was trying to be a lawyer. And what he had said was that this semester in particular, that the parties were a lot louder than the ones previously, and that the more people were showing up to that area than they were in the last couple of semesters or years that he was there. That ends up being the case. You know, if Koberger is new to the area and it's just driving around, uh, people are probably pointing. Maybe he asks somebody like, hey, where's where's the parties at? Where's the party scene? you know, back in Pullman and they say, Hey, if you know, around here, it's this place, or you can go check out, you know, the Greek row it's over there in, in Idaho or whatever. I mean, you probably find it on the internet search. It seems like it was a very popular spot. There's a couple of different ways or reasons why he could have found that. So they were trying to open the door themselves. Then they would have saw the blood and should have called 911 at once. From my understanding is I don't know who tried to open the door before Ethan's best friend. I don't think any, I, I didn't get any information about that. If anybody did, I just know that Ethan tried to open the door, or not Ethan, I'm sorry, that Ethan's best friend tried to open the door and couldn't open the door because he struggled with it. He had to push it. And then once he got it open a little bit, then that's when he saw bodies. So I don't know exactly which direction those bodies were facing or how they were positioned. If blood would have been traveling under the door or not. I'm not sure. They should have called 911 at four in the morning. I, I, I've never said that that wasn't the case. It is what it happened. You know, there's nothing that we can say or do that's going to change the fact that it took him eight hours to call. And the fact that it took him eight hours to call doesn't change who the suspect is. It kind of complicates how they're going to find him. You know, it makes it harder for law enforcement to find the guy because of that. But it doesn't change who the person is. Daniel, we know Brian bought a K-Bar from Amazon in April. Wouldn't that lead you to believe he was planning this back then? That would lead me to believe that he had the urges to commit a crime like this back then. How far he was planning it, I don't know. You know, was there a, a thought that he was going to plan it? Possibly. I mean, here's the thing. Why in April? Well, in April, he had we had we had emails from between him and the Pullman chief police referencing or talking, referencing about the intern position there at the Pullman Police Department. He didn't get it. Why didn't he get it? Well, at the time at the sales, he was in the sales university and his he was working also as a security guard in the school that he attended before. There's been a resignation letter or 
information that's been released that indicate that he was forced to resign, that had he not resigned, that he had understood that he could be terminated. Whatever happened there probably affected his uh background check. And you have to add in the, the the history of heroin abuse. So those two things on their own probably don't equate to a prime candidate for law enforcement official or law enforcement position. So him knowing that probably thought to himself that, you know, I'm never going to get a law enforcement job. He can't change what's happened already. You know, it's not like he can go back in time and stop himself from doing heroin or fix whatever it is that he did that got him, you know, forced him to resign. So with that being thought of and that in mind, you know, maybe he did have a little bit of a moment where he snapped or, or the, 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 the stick started to crack a little bit, necessarily not crack all the way or, or, or snap, but start to snap. And, and that started the process. Plus, at the same time, that's when that Reddit survey was out in April of 2022, or I think it was out there in March or February. So it was just out there right before. So he was in contact with people during that time that had committed violent offense, uh, uh, that were committed violent offenses. So there's all those things that are taking place. I'm not necessarily sure that he planned this specific crime against these specific people at that time, but I think that's when the ball started rolling. They would have taken the dog outside. I'm sure they would have let Murphy sleep in there too. Uh, People don't normally leave a dog in another room. I don't know about that. All my dogs sleep in other rooms. (laughs) It's the only one that sleeps in my room. Uh, But that's anecdotal. You know, either way, it's to me. I know that when I've gone out on multiple occasions, you know, long time ago, I don't go out anymore. When I've gone out and I've stayed out to the wee hours of the mornings, when I get back home, my dog's asleep. If I took him to go potty at, you know, before I left at 10 o'clock, you know, what's the difference between that? Taking taking a dog out at 1030 or at 930 at night before you go to bed and then taking taking the dog out in the morning at, you know, this is a college kid. So, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning, taking the dog out again. But what's the difference if you go out? In between that time, you know, the dog is still going to go out and potty at the same time that it would have. You know, me personally, when I get home late, I don't wake my dogs up and say, all right, go pee outside because I'm home late. They stay asleep. Yeah, we're really close to 40K. I'd appreciate that if you guys could help us get there. Check out the 2 a.m. footage. Uh, Are you talking about the Linda Lane footage? I already know that. Well, we already know that Kaylee and um, Maddie were calling uh, Jack to court till about three in the morning. Anything before then is probably not real or associated. There's a lot of parties and a lot of people that were that that happened in that area, and not just in that direction. It could be in the opposite direction. You know, if you if you think you can hear a noise two blocks east, you know what makes you think you won't hear a noise two blocks west or south or north. So that radius huge. So just because we hear some noise or whatnot doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from that direction. One example is we know from the probable cause affidavit that a dog is barking at 417 a.m. In the Linda Lane footage at 417 a.m., there is no barking heard. And if you can, it is so low, uh, it has to be boosted to the max. And you can barely, if you can hear it, barely make it out. So if it's that low during the time that we know it's going on, what makes us think that the louder barking at 412 or 410 or 401 or four or two or three is Murphy. If we can't hear him or vaguely, vaguely hear him at 417, when we know it's him barking, that just leads me to believe that there are other dogs in the area, y'all. How in God's name can these kids fight and scream for their lives and Dylan and Bethany not know something is very wrong? Well, we do know that there's audio from the ring, ring cam 50 feet away from the house and there's a thud, there's voices whimpering and dogs barking. There's no screaming, there's no yelling, there's no fighting for lives in the manner that you're alluding. You know, if these folks were were intoxicated and asleep when they were attacked or surprised when they were attacked by a seven and a half inch blade, if that blade goes into somebody's lung, there's no screaming, there's no yelling. There is 
blood filling up your lung capacity. It's like trying to yell underwater. It's not going to happen. And from the, from my understanding is it sounds like all of these poor kids took the brunt force of the uh, attack in their chest. So if the lungs are attacked, filling up, you're drowning in your own blood, basically. The fight that you're alluding to is, is not really there. It just isn't. Did you hear Ethan's best friend at the funeral say Ethan was looking forward to moving back to the frat house? So was he living with the girls? I don't know. I, I heard rumors of that. I, I hadn't seen the um, the actual, those words. Uh, I hadn't heard of myself. I've seen part of the, uh, of the, um, at the funeral or at the vigil that they've, or the celebration of life that they've had. Uh, I don't recall that part being said, but I've heard that that part was said like from other creators or people telling me that that part was said. If it was, I honestly don't know where he was living or what he was doing. If he was there in that house, it could be, I don't know. It changes everything. What are they hiding? Lose former seat attitude and think about things. <laughs> well, it's not so much that I'm thinking about things as a former seat attitude. I'm trying to look at things from a, well, it is a seat attitude. It's a common sense attitude. I, I don't look at things from one perspective or another. I look at things from a whole picture. Somebody tells me that um, John committed a crime. Uh, I'm going to expect to find certain things that would go along with that. Like, for instance, what time did, did John supposedly commit this crime? If it happened between 2 and 3 p.m., all right, does John work? Go check his work. If he's at work, then it's it wasn't him. If he's not at work and he called in sick that day, okay, there's something there, you know? Uh, John did this with what? With a, with a handgun? All right. Go find out if John owns any handgun. So, you know, I look at things from a whole different perspective. It's not necessarily a cop perspective. In my opinion, a, a bigger picture, because like, for instance, when I, we're, we're talking about Delphi and I look at Delphi, for instance, I don't see that case as being an open shut case. I don't see that case as being absolved from uh, corruption. I, I think it's very plausible in that case. And uh, that's what we're covering. So, I keep things a hundred, my man. I keep it a buck. If it comes out, if it if it quacks like a duck and it looks like a duck, I call it a duck. You know what I mean? Yeah, BK, he looks what he he looks like what he's accused, in my opinion, based on the evidence that we know. Richard Allen, uh, maybe not so much. I mean, I do think he was involved. He puts himself there. You know, Elvis Fields' comments are, you know, they're they they work in an ear and eyebrow, whatever you want to call it. You know, they raise suspicion. So. It's not so much about and, and, and the other thing is, too, whether it was from a cop's perspective or from an ordinary citizen, which I am now, I'm looking at the perspective of the truth, the evidence. She was in frozen shock phrase. How was she texting Bethany for eight hours? I don't know how she was texting anybody. I don't know if she was texting anybody. I think that was some stuff that has come out, but not has yet to been confirmed. If she had been texting someone, I can't answer for somebody else, my man. You know, I, I don't know. But. What I do know is, like, how does that change the fact that there was a white Elantra without a front license plate driving around suspiciously during the time that it was driving around, Koberger's phone being off at the time that it was off? I mean, the only thing that we can probably say if there's any type of suspicion here is that they were somehow involved or had knowledge or um, were a party to Brian Koberger. And according to Brian Koberger, there's no connection to anybody no, no victims, no nothing in that house. That's one thing. And two, Bethany and Dylan's phones were both forensically downloaded. So if there was something on there that could point to, you know, um, anything, they would have found it. It would have been found. I, I, I get it. You're looking at it suspicious. I understand it. I, I looked at it suspicious, too. I still kind of do. I mean, like, well, I don't know what they did, but it doesn't change the fact that their lives were taken by somebody at a specific time. And that evidence points at this guy. Whether he knew Bethany or Dylan or not doesn't appear so. He definitely thought 911 was being called on the way out of the house. I agree. I, I think that's the only reason why uh, Dylan remained alive for two reasons. One, if 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 Koberger, and we're assuming it's him, is opening the backsliding glass door, 
only to touch it once, to not close it again, to not touch it again. And his goal is to not leave his DNA behind. So he's going to touch things as little as possible. Given where Dylan's door or bedroom is located, it would be hard to tell going in from the house from the back that that wasn't a closet. Now, I know everybody's going to say, oh, you know, he stalked the place. He was out there 12 times. Yeah, but you can't be outside and look through the walls and see where that door is located, right? And if you were to go on Zillow or apartment.com or whatever it was at the time, there wasn't a 3D you know, map of the house like there was or is now. There was just slides of pictures of what the rooms look like in a bunch of different orders. It was hard to tell which one was in which room or much less try to make a diagram out of that. So if he's going in there, this is his first time in that house and it's at night, he walks through the kitchen, he sees a staircase to his right, sees a living room to his left and sees a closet door or a door right there. I'm not surprised if he assumed that that was a closet and went up the stairs. And if he thinks it's a closet, that's why he doesn't open the door or check it. Because if he's checking the closet door, that's another opportunity for him to leave his DNA behind. I think those are the two things. That kind of saved her, in my opinion. Uh, do you think that Big K's childhood medical records will be subpoenaed if it's relevant to his anger? Maybe. I mean, and that's a good question for a lawyer, to be honest with you. Lisa says, trust, trust me, all that will be brought out by Ann Taylor at trial. Have faith. What is she going to bring out? Like, more 1880. Like, I don't know if you guys saw, but I was on uh, Truth and Transparency's channel not too long ago. We're doing a little bit of a debate back and forth. Part one was on my channel, part two on hers. She had Gabriella Vargas, the defense's uh, own witness. Kudos to her, you know, for being able to get her on the, on the show. But I was able to get her to say that the IgG and the STR have nothing to do with each other, meaning that one can't throw out the other. They're not part of the same tree that people are trying to say that, oh, fruit of the poisonous tree, got to throw that out. It's not the case. Futile, as, as the judge already said. Yeah, Lisa, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's going to be much. In fact, I think I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, uh, a plea done before anything else. Maybe some chatter I'm hearing. Daniel isn't saying BK is good. You're saying the evidence collected is damaging. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not saying 100% that BK is guilty. I don't know all the evidence. There's no way anybody can say that at this point. I, I think that his phone being off during the time of the murders, the white car outside of the house missing a front license plate like his was during the time, during that time, the DNA on a sheath under the body of a victim that belongs to him, you know, all those things add up. And is it, I guess you can kind of explain one or two at a time. Right. Oh, man. You know, he could have touched something and that's how his DNA got there. Man, there's twenty two thousand you know, white cars in that area, Elantra's or whatnot. You know, it could have been somebody else's. Um, What's the other one? Oh, his phone went out of service. That's why his phone was not connected or it died. But then you have to add all those together. You know, BK went to a garage sale, touched a touch a knife sheath and a knife combo that would eventually be used by the real killer. Who just so happens to drive a white Elantra or you know what? It's a bad idea to drive your own car, right? So he stole a white Elantra and nobody's reported that theft yet because they know, I don't know. I mean, you guys tell me why they, that person hasn't reported that theft. So this other person buys this knife sheet, steals a white Elantra, takes off the front license plate so that it looks like Coburgers, knows exactly when Brian Coburger is going to be driving around by himself at night, knows exactly when he's going to turn off his phone, goes and commits the murders before Brian Koberger turns on his phone and knows exactly that Koberger is going to turn on his phone just south of Moscow so that it looks, it appears and it looks like that he's coming from that area. 
because he's traveling in the opposite direction when his phone turns on. Now, I don't know who this guy is, but man, he's good. BK has been fired from all his jobs. That is, from what I understand, somewhat accurate. I mean, I know one of them he resigned, but that was because he was being forced to resign. Uh, he was um, forced to leave the law enforcement class back in high school uh, and put in an HVAC class where there wasn't any females. And that was one of the big, I think, reasons why he was put in there. Makes me wonder what he was doing in his law enforcement class that got him taken out, you know, and put into a class where there's no women or females or girls. And then he got fired from his or was relieved of duty of his fish frying cutting job because he wasn't personable. Then he becomes a security guard at the school that you know, basically told me couldn't be as, you know, in the law enforcement class because he had a problem with something. They hired him probably because his parents have ties to the school, I believe. And he's forced to resign there. He he does do well at the sales, but where he does well slash where the professor had basically said, you know, that he was brilliant and that they, they recommended him for the PhD class. Well, that portion of his class was done online. So it was never in person per the, uh, the professor. So hmm, I wonder why. And then he gets to Pullman and in Pullman, he uh, is fired pretty fast from his teaching assistant position. I mean, really, really fast. And which reminds me, and I'm glad you guys brought this up. You know, I, I have brought this up and, and someone in the live chat had, or somebody in the comments section had said, WSU has remained silent on that as far as his termination, that I am saying unconfirmed things. And then in the next sentence tells me that the very next sentence of the same comment tells me that. Brian Koberger apparently frowned at a LBGTQ um, something on campus. And that because his frowning led campus officials, students to think that, you know, he was right winged. And because of that, they decided to have him fired by making these claims against them from PhD students and, and all these other claims from Professor Snyder that are outlandish. And I was I was astounded that my information was not credible because it came from the words of a PhD student, but the frowning of Brian Koberger was extremely credible. And that's the whole reason why he was being fired. I can't make it up y'all. I mean, excuse my language, but this is, this is true. And I'm not trying to point out anybody or pull, pull you know, do any of those things. You know, everybody has a right to their own opinion and stuff like that. At the same time, like we can't use a double standard on one and not the other. We can't say, hey, you can't say that because that's unconfirmed and then spew unconfirmed stuff behind it. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. But that's all I got for you guys today. I want to thank everybody that has commented, you know, the whole nine yards, commented, subscribed, liked. I appreciate it. I almost I almost missed something. I almost missed something. Thank you, Karen, for your $50 super chat. She says, do you know what I like about you in this case? You are on it. The truth is hard to accept. I appreciate you, Karen. Thank you so much. And thank you for your generous, generous donation. I appreciate that. And then we have a $4.99 super sticker from Nolo. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate all of you guys. Y'all have a fantastic weekend and be safe. Peace out.